Father's Day to all you guys here. So grateful for uh, the fathers in our community, our faith family, who lead their families, lead um, even other families, lead this church so, so well and so beautifully. And so I want to just say happy Father's Day to you guys. Um, it is, it's, it's really good to be together, right? Singing and worshiping our God. There's something so sweet in that, yeah. Um, well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, it's in your Old Testament. If you are new, here's what we do at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and uh, we're making our way through uh, Malachi, the book of Malachi, on Father's Day, right? Yeah. Um, well, we kicked it off last week with uh, the first, first part of this series. We'll probably be in, in the book of Malachi. It's a short book, only 55 verses total. Uh, we'll be in it for about six weeks, walking through it. And so Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, is where we'll be this morning. And uh, would you stand with me in honoring of God's word as we read it? The verses will also be on the, the screen behind me if you don't have your copy of God's word. Listen, the best way we can serve you fathers, by the way, is giving you God's word. And so I'm going to do that this morning through, through Malachi. A son honors his father. See, it is a Father's Day message. All right, there we go. As a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that, pre- present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. 
It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many, many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Happy Father's Day! <laughs> like, what? Uh, yeah. Um, like I said, the best way we can serve you fathers in this community is by giving you God's word. And uh, this is God's word from Malachi to us this morning on, on this Father's Day. And uh, I, I warned you last week, first off. Um, I warned you last week that Malachi is a weighty, hard-hitting book. And uh, if you have your Bibles, keep them open. Uh, we, we, we will constantly keep coming back to this. Verse 2. God doesn't start here uh, in, 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 in chapter 1 with verse 6. He starts at the beginning, verse 2, with this. I have loved you. Look at that. That's, that's what your Bible says there in Malachi. God starts this heavy-hitting, this weighty book of Malachi, not with rules, 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 but with what? Relationship. He goes, my covenant-keeping love is for you. Now, it's not like, hey, I have loved you, because some of you look at that English, and you're going, okay, that's past tense. Like, no wonder he used, I have loved you, right? Like, I, I did. No, it's a perfect tense. Meaning I have, I did when I chose you as my people, Israel, and I do right now, I love you, and I will love you. And so God starts with relationship. That's important, Christ follower, that God leads with relationship, then the commands and the rules follow. Why? Because he loves us. And so Malachi, yes, it is this heavy-hitting prophet to God's people, but these roll out like this because God loves you. God loves us with such a deal that he's not going to go, you know... I'm kind of cool with those offerings, right? The garbage you're bringing to the temple. Don't, don't worry about it. Like I just, you know, th- no, no, that's not who he is. He loves you so much. He's so zealous for his glory first and foremost that he's going to go, no, here's what I want you to know. Here's what you're doing that's against my standard, against my way. And he lays it out there for them, the Israelites, and for us. And that shows God's love. And he leads with that. He led with that in Verse 2. And so the whole theme of Malachi, just as a way of remember, uh, reminder, is this, is that it is God's word warning the religious community of the dangerous slide into spiritual apathy. That's the whole book of Malachi. It's God's warning, right, demonstrating his love and a warning to the religious community. We could say the church, Israel back then, the church for us here today, the dangerous slide into spiritual apathy. Apathy. You see, the Lord knows the tendency of our hearts to wonder. He knows the tendency of our hearts to, to stall out and, and just the, the tendency towards spiritually empty religion, right? Going through the motions. And today, in this section, if you will, there has a theme as well. That God confronts, lovingly confronts his people about careless and dishonoring worship. Careless in dishonoring worship, and particularly he light, highlights the priests. You hear that? You, O oh priests, you, O oh priests. 
And you're looking at me going, Are you, I'm not a priest, by the way, okay? But you're going, that's to you, right, Kyle? That's to the elders. That's to the ministry leaders, the pastors. Yeah, it is. But Peter reminds us that for those of us in the new covenant, we are a, you can put that verse up behind me, Jake, there, that we're a what? And just so you can have the reference. Some of you are already saying it. But you are a chosen race. You, saved. A what? A royal priesthood. Something called the priesthood of all believers. So even as I say a spiritual leader, some of you just go, "Eh, not me. And I challenge you on that. Believer in Christ. That is you. Father, here on Father's Day, that is you. Spiritual leader of your home. The, 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 the one who sets the spiritual climate and temperature of your home. Mother, wife, husband, spiritual leader. Yes, is all attached to those things as, as a Christ follower. Employee. You say, well, none of those badges fit me. Employee. As a believer in your place of employment, you're a spiritual leader. You're a carrier of the Holy Spirit within you. Uh, uh, a, a boss, right? In any vocation, whatever it is, you're a spiritual leader. You're someone who brings the Spirit of God into a place, right? Maybe you're a serving partner here at the Park Church. You lead a praxis group or a formation group, or you serve in bigs, littles, students. You are a a spiritual leader. Listen, all of us are implicated by this text, not just the priests of this day or the leaders of our day, because we all are. And so God will lovingly confront us, all of us. And we've called this series, kind of a subtitle, the title of it, Cut to the Heart from Acts chapter 2, verse 37, where it says the people were cut to the heart because that's what Malachi is getting after. That's what God wants to do. He wants to do a serious heart surgery in his people because he loves them. And, And you know if the heart is sick, the rest of the body is sick. And what's happening in Malachi's day is that there is a heart condition. There is a sickness. And God begins to identify in his love these conditions. And there are three warnings today about the condition of their heart as it relates to worship. And these three warnings are as true back then as they are today, right? They are true today in our hearts and in our lives if we will be honest before God. And so I want to give, because there's a lot going on in this passage, right? There's a lot of things that are kind of confusing about these sacrifices and these these animals and what they look like and what's going on and the priests and I'm going to, you know, Smear dung on your face? I didn't hear anybody laugh about that. Like, smear dung, like, nobody even, like, like, what is going on in this passage and what it is is a serious warning by God. It's a serious warning. It's a serious warning about this, half-hearted worship. So three, three warnings. I just want to give you three warnings this morning and kind of the flow of this, uh, this sermon will be this. After each warning, I want us to pray really quickly. I want us to pray. I don't want to just pray at the end. I want to pray between these. So three warnings of half-hearted worship. Um, three, I, even half-hearted worship is so familiar of a term probably for a lot of us. Three warnings about mailing it in, right? Three warnings about, about, about not bringing your best foot, whatever you want to call it. These are warnings from God about not being wholly submitted to him. And by the way, worship is not just singing, Okay. That is literally the sum total of our lives. It's, it comes from the, the word worth, worthship, like w- giving the worth that it deserves to who? To God. Okay, that, that's worship. So what does half-hearted worship look like? Well, it looks like what we just read, but what's a warning sign? The first one is this, losing the awe of God. 
first warning sign of half-hearted worship, apathy in our lives, as, we, as the Lord, by His Spirit, does heart surgery, is this, losing the awe of God. God asks a number of questions in Malachi. Last week, it wasn't really a question because he said, I have loved you. The people of God always have like a, 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 like they go, God, how have you loved us? That was last week. Like, God, you say you love us, but how have you loved us? But God asked two specific questions at the top of this section. Did you see it? He says, first, where is my honor? That's verse six and verse seven. Like, where is my honor? Where is my fear? And notice that he attaches those two, those two questions to two different characters of him, right? Two different characteristics of him. Did you see that? He says, even as an earthly father, there is this honor. Like, you, you honor your earthly father. As he's telling that to the people of God. You honor your earthly father. I'm your heavenly father. And there's no honor. Where's my honor? He goes, earthly master or boss. You honor your earthly boss, right? But I am your heavenly master. Where's my fear? Where's my fear? What God is asking for here is something that is holy and completely due him. Because some of you go, well, that God, seems like you're real needy here, God. Where's my honor, right? Where's my fear? No, this is the God of the universe. And this is where I'm talking about losing the awe. This is the God of the universe who created all things, right? Genesis 1, he spoke everything into existence. The raw material God uses is his voice. That's who's saying this. He deserves all glory. He deserves all honor. He deserves to be feared, right? In, in the best and purest sense. And he's going, where is it? Because I'm looking at the sacrifices you are bringing to satisfy me, by the way, in this sacrificial system. And they're your worst. They're your blind animals. They're your crippled. They're, they're, they're the least you're bringing to me, expecting me to receive them. And he goes, look at this. He says, would you bring these, verse 8, would you bring these to your governor? Would you bring these to your earthly authority? He goes, no way. If you tried to pay your taxes with that, he goes, they would reject it and laugh at you. Why would I, the God of the universe, accept those? You've lost your awe of me. You've lost your sight of who I am as father and master. And I think those are very um, interesting that he uses those two. Because on the continuum of who God is, you have to have those two, father and master. And when you think about God, when you think about God, do you tend to slide over into one of those two categories of his description more than the other? When you think about who God is, 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 do you tend to slide over? Maybe if you've had a really good example of an earthly father, um, you tend to slide over to that one where it's, it's all about his affection. It's all about his love. It's, 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 it's that maybe, maybe even in that one, um, the Lord kind of allows you to get away with a few things, right? Well, for you, like, that's, that's not at all how I, I think about God. It's maybe over on, on the master side. Where that fear, oh, fear, I've got fear of God. Where it's about rules and it's about regulations. It's about the do's and don'ts and really no relationship. And he seems distant. Do you find yourself pitting? And God here in this text says, no, I am both father and master. And in God, in the God of the universe, there is perfect affection 
and perfect authority in him. That there is both relationship and there are both rules. There are things that he sets before us, lines that he draws because he is God. Because he is the perfect father and he knows what's good for his children. And so this father, master idea, God asks them the questions, where is my honor? Where is my fear? Could he ask the same thing of us as the Parks Church, as the people of God? Do you honor me? Do do, do you fear me? Do you understand who I am? You see, in in Malachi chapter 2, what we read, uh, Malachi gives the example of Levi, the priest that did it right. What does it say in verse 5? It says that, that Levi stood in awe of God. That he stood in awe of God and he feared him. That this is the right response to our God. But my fear is, for us as a church, the Parks Church, not speaking of the capital C church, I know sometimes we'll say the capital C church, it's probably true of that as well, but for us as a local community, that there are moments where in our lives, individually and corporately, where we have lost the awe of who God is. His majesty, his greatness, his holiness, his zeal, his love, his, 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 his affection toward us for a handful of reasons. The first, familiarity. We're just so darn familiar. Familiar with the things of God, familiar with the word of God. We come in here on a Sunday morning. Man, the music's excellent. Teaching's mediocre at best, but... I mean, we're just familiar. We hear from the word of God, maybe throughout the week. We rub up against the things of God and we just become familiar with it where we lose the awe of God. And Malachi is warning the people of God, wake up. Don't forget who you're coming before. Don't forget who we just sang to and lifted our voices. Don't forget who's speaking from this word. It's not Kyle. It's the word of God. This is God speaking. To us, to our hearts. Don't lose all. Well, maybe for some of us, it's not just familiarity. It's frustration that makes us lose the awe of God. How many of you remember when you first came to faith in Jesus? And it was like, yeah, like there was all this zeal and all this passion. You're just like, yes, I, I love, you know, I'm saved by grace of radical transformation. Like it's just this awe. And then what happens over time, right? You get discipled out of the awe of God. Let's be honest. Like his presence, it's just like, I don't know, his presence, I can tell you, identify, you know, it is sanctification. Just, and you lose sight of who it is that redeemed you and saved you. And the frustration comes when God doesn't meet your expectations. Ever been in that moment? Where it's like, God, I got saved, I was really zealous for you, I, I continue to follow you, and I thought, surely, this was how my life was going to be laid out. I thought this A went to B, went to C, and then whoa, D, right? Like that's how it's supposed to be. But I am still stuck at A. I'm still stuck at B. Or hey, God, this didn't happen or this did happen. And you begin to question the motives of God and the heart of God. And let me tell you, when we begin to do that, our awe of who God is grows faint. Because whose voice begins to get really loud? Mine. God, this is how it's supposed to be. Really? Are you the author? Last series, are you the authority? Are you the one that set the world into motion? No, he is. And so we come understanding that he is a perfect and good father. He is master, meaning Lord over it all. And we come and we go, go, Lord, whatever you take us through, the fire, the water, the blessings, the mountaintop, the valley, you are there present. And that's the only thing that really matters. You don't have to meet my expectations. 
See, that's when we get who God is. Listen, this isn't just like church, take your medicine. This is like Kyle, take your medicine. Like we can grow frustrated with God and I get it. But we have to be careful that in those moments of frustration, we forget who we're actually talking to. God is not obligated to us. He's not obligated to show up here. His spirit is not obligated to show up in our midst. But he does. Isn't that incredible? God was not obligated to save you. But he chose you. He redeemed you. He showed his love to you while you were still yet a sinner. Christ died and you saved. See how often the awe of God in our lives is replaced with the awe of ourselves. You see, when the awe of God is absent from the people of God, even true here in Malachi, it's not just this void. It's replaced with something. It's replaced with themselves. It's replaced. They're going, we've got all this livestock. We're going to give him our worst and our least. Why? Because we want to be in awe of ourselves. So we're going to make the most profit. We're going to keep building. We're going to keep growing. You see, the awe of his presence is replaced with the awe of our performance and our success. That's really what we're in awe of. Any proof? Think about your life. Could your life, Christian, Christ follower, could your life be explained apart from God? I'm talking about your life, your day in, your day out life. Could it be explained apart from the hand and presence of God? Most of you, the answer to that is yes. Right? I have a job, I get up, I go to work, I get this paycheck, I do this, I do that. You know what's missing there? Faith. This idea that what God calls us to when he calls us into discipleship is to live lives that are wholly and completely dependent on him. Lives that are only explained by the hand of God and the presence of God being in our lives every day. Every minute. You say, well, my job, all these things. God has given you that. The breath in your lungs to wake up, to go to that place, to raise those kids, to love that spouse. That was given to you by God. We've lost this awe. How do, how do we get that back? What, what, what renews that sense of awe? His presence and repentance. There's no other way. So let's pray and repent right now. Just, Father, I don't want to move a step ahead. without asking for your forgiveness. God, we are all guilty of losing sight of who you are. Losing the awe and the wonder of your salvation toward us in Christ. We are all guilty as the Israelites and the priests were of not honoring and not fearing your holy name properly. So Holy Spirit, give us all 
give us that sense of who God our Father, God our Savior Jesus is. Holy Spirit, you do that. Give us that gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Second warning sign. Second warning sign. Not only did they lose the awe, and these, these all flow really from that, is that they were giving, and this is probably what you picked up most on, they were giving God what's easy and convenient. As God does heart surgery in us, not only is losing the awe of who God is, truly, but also what we give to God is an indicator of where our hearts truly are. And what we find over verse after verse after verse, I'm not going to go through all of them, is that they were bringing what? They weren't bringing the sacrifices that God asked of them. They weren't bringing their best to the God of the universe. They were literally bringing their blind sacrifices, their lame ones, and God goes, listen, I have put up with it for far long enough. This is evil. Did you see that? He wasn't like, hey, you guys are just stingy. You guys are greedy. He goes, this is evil. That's a little bit harder, right? A little more meat on that bone of evil than stingy and greedy. This is flat out evil. And notice, it's not that they didn't have it to give. They had the livestock. They had the things that God required for this sacrificial system to be brought to the priest. What was it? They just didn't want to give it. God had given them flocks. God had given them the sacrifices for them to give. But what did they do with that gift? Mine. We have to give something, right? We have to give something. I mean, this is how our sins are atoned for. And this is how we have to show God's holiness. This is what we're supposed to do out of religious activity. We've got to give something. How about that? How about that goat over in the corner, right? He kind of been standing there for about 10 weeks, you know? He's not going to produce me anything. He's not going to do anything good. It's not going to cost us anything, right? We're not going to care if we lose him. Bring him to the priests. Do you bring what is generous before the Lord? Now, listen, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about money, but I'm also I'm talking about money. And he's going to talk about money specifically in Malachi chapter 3. But how about your time? The, the greatest currency for us as North Texans, right? Many of you can pin a check, right? Many of you can pay an amount. But when you talk about time, ooh, wait a minute. Mark Green, we've used this quote here before, talking about time in the church. He says, this is the current climate of, of the church as we know it. To recruit the people of God to use some of their leisure time to join the mission initiatives of paid church workers. That's what it looks like to be a church. For the people of God to recruit you, us, to use some of our leisure time, right? That spare time we've got over there if we're not at the lake or on the golf course. You know, like, if we're not doing those things we, you know, we have to do or want to do. If we've got that margin over there, that's what we'll give. God, church paid worker. That's not Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 says what? Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, that the ministry, that the building and growing of the church. Yes, this is Jesus, but he enlists all of us to be wholly committed to seeing his glory go throughout all of the earth. All of us. Not just our leisure time, not just what's easy and convenient. Listen, that's grabbing the lame blind goat and going, God, here you go. Forgive my sins with that. Giving what's easy and convenient is an indicator of truly where our hearts are and truly what we believe about God. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 21. Very famous verse. 
where your treasure is, what's also there? Yeah, you. Your heart, meaning the sum total of who you are. You can trace it back to where you put your treasure. I just can't understand how we can justify giving God our sin, but not our wealth and time and etc. We enthusiastically give God our issues, but not the stuff we hold on to. We gladly receive from God, but not gladly give to God. That's what's happening in Malachi's day. That's what's happening in our day. And my wife just got back from Sierra Leone, Africa. She was there for two weeks. The poorest country on the planet. Um, one of the things she said, she was telling me just a story about how um, they would give the kids, you know, whether it's a piece of bread or, or, you know, a Coke or soda or something like that. And you would think, right? You would think that the mindset, because I've got three kids and I give them something like that. Let me tell you what they do. They like, they, they hide it and then they eat it all at once, right? What she said happened over there was she would give it away and they would take it and break off pieces and make sure everyone was fed around them. Like, how incredible is that picture? Like, how, 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 how much, like, how, how formative is that to us? But I know my tendency is to be like, God, thank you for your blessings. Mine. God, thank you for what you've given me in the grace and mercy of your son, Jesus. Now I'm going to hold on to that, right? And not live a life to go, God, you have given me the greatest wealth imaginable in your son, Jesus. And you have given me tangible things. You have placed me in a place where I want to live open-handed, showing and serving your kingdom with full abandon, my whole life devoted to you. That's my heart. How many times your actions don't, simpl- don't, don't exemplify that? How often do my actions not exemplify that? That I am guilty of bringing what is easy and convenient before the Lord. A lame sacrifice like what we see here in Malachi. Praise God that he didn't give me a lame sacrifice in Jesus. God's looking at his people here in Malachi going, I didn't deliver you halfway from Egypt. They were just a hundred years out from exile. He's going, I didn't just halfway deliver you. I wholly delivered you. Fully, completely So listen, God is not asking from you or me something he has not led the way in giving a million times, infinitely more than we can. But yet we forfeit so much when we bring our leftovers to God. Even how we come into this space and this place, did you you prepare your heart? I don't mean to be driving this to it. You're like, it's Father's Day. Come on, ease up, preacher. Like, come on. Did you prepare your heart for what happens here? that we meet with the God of the universe, that we hear from his word? Or did you just come in casually and going, well, I hope the music stirs something up. And I hope Kyle's good enough today to get something going in me. Like, how did last night prepare you for today? You say, well, I have a lot to ask for forgiveness for. And that's not what I'm talking about. And maybe, yes, you do, but that's not what I'm talking about. And if we wondered how uh, God felt about this, um, look at verse 10. He says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors 
that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you. Let's not forget verse two. I love you. He goes, but my goodness, if one of you just would have stood up priests, if one of you just would have stood up and closed the door, it's better to not have any sacrifices at all than these half-hearted, careless sacrifices. If one of you would have just shut the door, that's God's heart toward half-hearted worship. That's God's heart in us bringing what's easy and convenient before him. Let me pray. Father, once again, we need your forgiveness. Forgive us for offering to you what is just easy and convenient and costs us nothing when what it cost you was your son that we might have fellowship and a relationship with you. God, forgive us for mailing it in on our generosity. Forgive us for simply going through the motions of being generous and being sacrificial with our time, with our our abilities and, and, and with our money. God, realign our passions because of who you are. Realign our generosity and our sacrifice. Let us live lives wholly devoted and laid down before you. Let us open our hands from the tight grip we have on stuff. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Third and lastly, Last warning sign here in Malachi of half-hearted worship is that we see a shrinking away from God's standard in truth. A shrinking away. You see, the greatest issue for the people in Malachi's day was not a lack of knowledge. It's that they, they knew. They knew that the lame sacrifice, the blind animal, the, 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 the one that wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't assimilate into the flock, they knew that was not the right sacrifice. They knew it. The greatest issue for people in our day is not a lack of knowledge. Not an issue here at the Parks Church. But what the issue is, is actually faith. Faith to do it. Faith to believe that what God says is true. That what God leads us in is the best way. Faith to actually participate as God participates, to say, give me your best. You see, the priests, they just passively were complicit with this. People would bring these sacrifices. They should have been the ones. The spiritual leaders should have been the ones to go, no, take it back. Try again. I'm not taking that in there. Try again. But they weren't. And I don't think they got in a big meeting, right, with everybody and just said, hey, you know what? We've been sacrificing way too good at stuff, right? Start bringing your leftovers. Hey, start, start, start doing what's easy. Start, start mailing it in, nation of Israel. No, here's what happens. And this is what happens all the time. It's never one massive fall. It's an abandonment of a thousand little compromises over time. It's one here and one there. And the next thing you know, that is just the routine. That's true in our lives. One little compromise over time. And God says, listen, 
if my people don't take seriously my glory, my weight, why in the world would anybody else? If my church is the one mailing it in, if my church is the one bringing half of their heart in worship, why would, why would anyone in the, in the world do anything different? Why would anyone in the world want to be part of this? And then Malachi reminds us and the priests of what God's aim is in this, in the sacrificial system. And this is where we'll, we'll close. 2 verse 5. My covenant with him, Levi, was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him, God says. You see, it isn't just, hey, if you do these rules and regulations, God's going to go, it's what, I, it's what I'm do. It's what I'm do. God goes, no, here's what happens. When you follow my way, when you listen to my words, I give you life and peace. What we're all looking for. And by life, I mean like John 10, 10 life. Life and life to the full. And when I say peace, I mean like ultimate peace, right? Not just, hey, the waters have kind of settled down, but no, like a peace that truly passes all understanding. When we come before God and we understand who he is, when we're not mailing it in, when we're bringing our lives full of sacrifice and full of surrender, when we come standing in his full truth, we receive life and peace. Why? Because we accomplished it? No. Because this whole passage points to one who accomplished it for us, Jesus. This whole passage is a pointer ahead going, you can't do this. You can't accomplish this. Nation of Israel, you can't do this on your own. Parks Church, you can't do this on your own. This is a point ahead to who? Jesus. The perfect son who obeys the good father. The perfect servant who lays down his life at his father's command. Jesus who offers worship that is fully honoring to God. Jesus who offers the utterly worthy sacrifice that God delights and fully accepts. Jesus, the ultimate leader who saves people from their sins. That's what this is pointing to. Our need. What we need most of all, Hebrews 4 tells us. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet the difference is what? Right there. Without sin. Every priest, every person, they didn't bring their offerings as blemish-free as they were. They didn't bring them without sin. Jesus is the only one who is without sin. He is the perfect high priest. He is the perfect sacrifice that we are looking for. Then verse 16, here's what we do, church. With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, not judgment, not moralism, not do this better, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Here is what the passage in Malachi shows us. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. We're needy. We're needy. I'm guilty of losing sight I'm guilty of just mailing it in and taking the easy, convenient route. I'm easy. I'm guilty of walking and easing back the standards of God's truth. That's why I must draw near to the throne of grace because I'm needy. 
And the only place that meets my need is Jesus. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The one that causes us to stand in awe. The one who calls us and gives us the desire to lay our whole lives down before him. The one who says, Lord, whatever you say, whatever standard, whatever truth you say, I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm going to lean into it because I know there's my good and your glory. Whatever it is. This morning, this is a message, as they all are, about Jesus and our need for him. Let's pray. Father, the only way to reconstruct our hearts is through Jesus. The only way to go from half-hearted worship is to actually understand your son, Jesus, and what he's accomplished for us. And so, Lord, I pray as a community, individually, corporately, that we would see him clearly this morning as the one who satisfies, as the one who is, who is infinitely more generous in laying down his life, infinitely more generous than we could ever be, leading the way and calling us into that life where we'll find peace. And so, Lord, I pray in this, in this moment, Lord, may you bring life, salvation. May you bring peace, meaning clarity and wholeness to our lives. Wake up our hearts. Wake up our hearts. Wake up my heart to be more in love with you than it is. And Lord, I pray this week that I might live by faith in the goodness and grace of your son, Jesus. For your glory, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.